HVAC 360, episode number 57, an Ocean Alliance update. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of HVAC 360. I'm your host, Matt Nelson. This week, we continue our trek through the AHR Expo in Dallas, Texas, 2013. Uh, this week, we've uh, bumped into the Inocean Technology uh, people again. This week, uh, we're going to be talking with Jim O'Callaghan, who is the president of Inocean. So Jim has some, some great insight into what's been going on the last year with Inocean and really to, to, to give us some, some, some fresh feedback and some more information about the Inocean technology and what's changed. Uh, there's been a number of things that have been going on, so we're going to talk to Jim about that. This is, this is really great stuff. I get excited about the Inocean technology every time I see it, uh, just because it seems like one of those technologies that really kind of fills a gap uh, in what is out there as far as technologies being applied out in the field. And I think that we're going to see more and more of these technologies as people realize there's, there's better ways to do things. And really, that's, that's kind of what this targets. Uh, from a wireless standpoint, from a protocol standpoint, it just makes sense when you start realizing uh, what can be done with this technology. And, you know, I mean, Mark, Mark says, or uh, Jim says it best uh, when we're talking uh, in that uh, about batteries. You know, I mean, you change, you know, yeah, there's, there's wired, hardwired, which it gets expensive, and then people try to go to wireless technology, but it's supported by batteries. And, you know, one thing that a, uh, that a uh, control system doesn't need is another layer of difficulty. Uh, you know, when, in, when you need all the protocols and all the things uh, to be talking and communicating, otherwise they crash, you, you realize that, you know, a battery is a, 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 just a, a poor way to go. You know, I mean, actually, in my own life, I've, I'm being affected by batteries. You know, some of the newer cars, they have uh, devices that actually are in the tires to sense pressure. And, and you know, the, the goal here is that when the tire runs a little bit flat or there's a hole, that it's going to be an early detection sign uh, for that. But there, these devices are all battery-powered. Uh, and, you know, frankly, if one, if one battery, one battery out of the five, you know, the four tires and the spare, one of those four batteries goes, the entire system comes down. And you don't know exactly which battery is right and which battery isn't. You end up replacing pr- pretty much everything. And, and if you scale that up to a building-sized problem, I, you know, I, the nightmares and the headaches could just be astronomical. I mean, you could just kind of throw up your hands in the air and say, you know what, i got to replace everything from scratch. You know, I'm, and that's it. You know, it, it could be that frustrating. Um, so... All right, enough with my little rant. Let's just cut to the tape with Jim, and uh, uh, let's enjoy it. All right, let's cut to the tape. All right, we're on the floor of the AHR Expo here in Dallas, 2013. Uh, we're talking with Jim O'Callaghan. How you doing today, Jim? Very good, thank you. So, uh, in Ocean Alliance, tell me a little bit about that. I mean, anybody who doesn't know, 
uh, what it is, how do you kind of, what's your elevator pitch for uh, InOcean? Okay, the, the InOcean Alliance is a consortium of companies that employ the InOcean technology in their building automation products. So maybe first I can describe a little bit about what InOcean, the corporation is, okay. and then that leads to the alliance. An ocean corporation specializes in energy harvesting, which is the conversion of ambient energy, such as light, temperature, linear motion, into usable electrical energy that's used to power wireless sensors and switches. And a variety of OEMs have incorporated these energy harvesting technologies into their products to control lighting and HVAC. Those corporations have banded together to form the InOcean Alliance, which is an independent not-for-profit company comprised of approximately 300 members who all work to promote the concept of energy harvesting. They collaborate on technical interoperability, uh, marketing, uh, and promotion of the international standard recently adopted by the IEC. Can you talk a little bit more about that international standard? Yeah, you're familiar with standards such as 802.11, which is actually the IEC standard for what's commonly known as Wi-Fi. Uh, in order to um, create an international standard that, quite frankly, gave more life to the an ocean radio protocol than, than just the members combined, uh, we've worked together uh, with uh, members in a number of countries and uh, in April of this year, the IEC adopted uh, the InOcean radio protocol as the uh, interoperable standard, international standard for energy harvesting powered wireless technologies. So there's a, a standard out there today um, that is, that is uh, adopted specifically for this which is referred to ISO IEC 14543-3-10. That's, that's great that it's an international standard uh, that's, that's being developed. Now, the alliance that you've talked about, you said it was uh, 300 members plus strong. How has that grown over the last, couple, the last year or so? We've had roughly 50% growth uh, over the last four years since the alliance uh, was formed, 50% per year growth. So there's still significant growth. The, the, the alliance is international. There are members from Europe, North America, Asia, and, and other uh, regions. Uh, we've seen quite a bit of growth this past year in Asia, uh, particularly Japan and China, um, and then continued growth amongst the more established markets of North America and Europe. And the members are typically comprised of of uh, OEM, original equipment manufacturers, a product that they offer products that, that uh, promote it. There's also members that might be part of the ecosystem, suppliers of various products. Um, and then sometimes there are members that might be uh, in the uh, installation, the uh, uh, professional services branches, including um, at this show here, we have one company, Marlowe, that, that uh, offers thermal harvesting, which is a conversion of temperature differentials into electricity. We have Mitsubishi, who's here, who's showing some of their antenna technologies that uh, can be uh, mounted, chip antennas can be mounted right on board. And that's an example of some of the, the, the members okay. that are... So now getting, getting back to the ocean company, the ocean technology, who founded it? Where, where, did, that, where did that come from? I mean, Good question. The, the uh, an ocean technology had its roots in Siemens uh, Central Research Lab in Munich. 
where a handful of engineers were thinking about the future of the world of sensors. And sensors are used in many mobile devices. And if you look at some of the businesses, Siemens was in automotive, medical, building automation, etc. And so the, 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 at its root was this idea that, that sensors are the eyes and ears of intelligent systems. And you need that information in order to properly control a system. Uh, but each of these sensors has traditionally required either uh, a power wire and a communication wire or batteries. And uh, pulling these wires throughout a facility, especially for retrofitting or an automotive or other applications, can be costly and, and uh, invasive. And uh, with respect to batteries, uh, many people uh, install systems based upon an ocean technology that they expect to last for 20 years. And there's a, uh, an expression that says, batteries may be cheap, replacing them isn't. And we have facilities that have thousands of devices in them. And the thought uh, of the Easter egg hunt of figuring out where those devices are, when is their battery dying, did I stock the battery, getting out the ladder to climb up onto the ceiling to replace it, is really objectionable for the vast majority of the integrators with these systems. So at its root, these, this, this group in... in um, in the Siemens Central Research Lab that ultimately spun out to become an ocean had this idea that said there's an ocean of energy in the atmosphere. If we could find efficient ways to convert that energy into usable electrical energy. Uh, an ocean was spun out of Siemens in 2001. We started shipping our first products in 2003. And today there are more than 200,000 buildings that uh, are enabled by an ocean, these 300 members, and uh, millions of devices operating in the field. So an ocean has its own products aside from just kind of uh, franchising, so to speak, the technology to, uh, to other alliance members. Yeah, well, an ocean's um, business model is an OEM strategy. So we make primarily... Uh, what we refer to as modules. Modules incorporate our, our Dolphin uh, ASIC, which is uh, designed specifically for energy harvesting, so, and accessory electronics. So, for example, in our switch, we would have the electrodynamic energy harvester that converts the mechanical energy into electrical energy. Then the, the circuit board with our integrated circuit that would send out the radio signal containing information from that switch when it's pressed. Our solar-powered devices will provide either an electronic circuit board and a solar cell, for example, or some of our customers use the electronics to choose their own solar cell and their own energy storage based upon the, the application. So you can scale the generation of energy and the storage of energy to the application. We also make a, a line of some finished products that are offered to customers, but again, only to OEM customers. And the idea there is that uh, sometimes you might need a, a full suite of products in order to have a complete solution. And this, this helps customers speed their time to market. And so the OEM customer can choose either a module and design in their own, uh, a finished product, or a combination thereof. Okay. So now for, for the show, for 2013, what, what's new for the Alliance? Well, for the Alliance, in addition to the in, uh, adoption of the international standard, we've, we've had quite a bit of growth. And, and just from where we're here, we can see um, a, a significant number of members. There's roughly 15 companies at the AHR that are presenting 
the technology today. Companies like Schneider, Distech, Delta, uh, Reliable Controls, and then right here in our booth we have Xeno Controls and, and uh, Alumra and, and um, others. And so there's been a growth in the technology, uh, excuse me, a growth in the number of OEMs that have adopted. We're also uh, highlighting some uh, migration and advancement in the fundamental technology. And that is, uh, when the technology first came out, it was primarily things like switches for lighting control. There were sensors, primarily solar-powered sensors, that have duty cycles, uh, like uh, a temperature sensor might wake periodically and report in. And now we're starting to see the advent of energy harvesting being used in actuators. By actuators, we mean devices that aren't just, say, sensing on a, on a random event, but they're actually controlling motors uh, or, or uh, taking um, uh, physical action. So what we have here, for example, is a thermo-powered uh, valve. So there's a differential in temperature between the, the liquid in this valve that might be hot water, and on the other side, you'll see a heat sink that, that offsets that temperature differential by having air. And with a, a few degrees C temperature differential, that is sufficient for us to start to generate electricity to charge up a capacitor to store power. And in this case, one of our partners, Spartan, uh, uses that power to power a radio to periodically check in with a controller, but then also has sufficient energy to turn a motor that opens and closes the valve. So you can now have thermal-powered or solar-powered actuators that connect with energy-harvesting powered wireless control systems, significantly reducing the wiring that you need to install to um, to retrofit a building, for example. Yeah, that's that, that's interesting. I you know it, when I think when I looked at this technology before, one of the things was, that I was excited about was just having you know this thermally activated or the thermally generated energy. And I, when I saw the heat sink, I'm like, oh, okay. So it's basically just creating you know that differential, just kind of you know basically sacrificing just a little bit of that heat to drive that differential and generate that electricity off the pipe and, and, and to take a look at the uh, what they have here uh, from Spartan they have a basically the pipe they have the uh, the device connected to it and then they on top of that device is a, uh, a heat sink with the fins going up um, that has a wire that connects into the the actual valve body uh, and that's what uh, sends the electricity uh, to that that valve actuator now I guess uh, talking about size limitations I know that you know, in, 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 in the last time I was here talking about size limitations, what, you know, how big are we getting? Are we getting, are we getting bigger, you know, more aggressive with, with the size of pipe that we're able to, uh, to get that differential on? Or Yeah, that's, uh, I think you'll find not only with the uh, thermal harvesting, but also the solar power that, that people are tending to go a little bigger. And, uh, and so... The, the, the technology itself, as we mentioned before, is scalable. And so on one side, you uh, just take a step back. You always have to be careful about the energy balance, which is this, what is my generation of energy? What is my consumption of energy? Uh, what's the storage mechanism? How long do I have to store energy when there isn't a source? Easy way to describe it is nighttime for a solar cell. 
you might want to have a weekend shutdown or uh, one of our partners, Regobar, designed a thermostat that operates, I believe, at 17 days in complete darkness off of the energy stored from the solar cell. And so, so that just gives you an indication of, of what people are doing with the technology. There were small solar cells, maybe uh, you know, two inches by three quarters of an inch when we started, and now uh, one, one of our partners is, as you see in the booth here, is using a solar cell that's roughly two by three inches. And that device is powering an occupancy sensor, which is on continuously when it's monitoring um, occupancy in the building. And in the case of Spartan, um, uh, what they can do with their technology, again, is the uh, there's a, a thermal harvesting technology known as a Peltier device. Peltier devices can be uh, added together. You can, you can scale them in size. You can use multiple devices. Um, the energy is also determined by the temperature differential. And so if you can maximize the differential between the two surfaces, then you generate more electricity. And all of that, you balance the, the physical size, the temperature differential, the energy storage against your consumption side. And on the consumption side, you have consumers include the radio, where you're periodically communicating with a building controller or a thermostat, as an example. You have the sensing on board that measures the temperature. And then, of course, you have the actuation of the motor. So you have to look at how much energy does the motor consume, how frequently does it operate, right. and, and uh, the bridge time again. So that's where Inocean works real closely with OEMs, where uh, in this case uh, there's a, an innovative thermal technology provided by Marlow, then we work closely on things like DC boosters, which thermal harvesters tend to output very low levels, uh, millivolts of power, and so we can work with them to boost those low voltage levels up to usable three volt power needed to power electronics. So we provide a lot of the energy harvesting, power conditioning, power storage, and radio communication. And our customers provide significant expertise in the application, the physical design of the product, um, and uh, many times, in the case of actuators, the mechanical uh, actuators, you know, reduce the power consumption by coming up with innovative new actuators. Right. So, I mean, the, the one thing I, I guess I, I like about the the thermally actuated uh, equipment is I can, I can imagine that, you know, no offense to any electricians out there, but you can eliminate a trade by going with a thermally activated valve, for instance. You wouldn't have to ha have it wired. You wouldn't have to have, you know, 120 volt or, uh, you know, whatever you're using to actuate the valve. Because um, another thing that, that, you know, kind of rears up is, is has anybody gone through, and obviously there's a temperature differential once you cross like a heat exchanger, whether it be a, you know, a fin tube or reheat or whatever, and obviously in, instead of going to the air, actually having a pipe-to-pipe -pipe, you know, supply to return you know, that differential that's, that's constant, has anybody... That's, a, that's actually a good suggestion. I haven't seen that. I have seen... Now, fundamentally, the, the uh, thermal harvesting works best when, when you keep this constant differential in temperature. So an ideal location might be a faucet where you have hot and cold water. And so there's a lot of innovative solutions looking at things like, uh, you know, sensing is the presence of the hand there, the soap dispenser. So providing power without having to run electricity to a water disposing a dispensing area, which is electricity and water... Uh, don't like each other that well. Um, and so 
there are multiple applications where there's uh, temperature differential. Obviously, pipes are one. The other are uh, ductwork. The, the uh, temperature, a lot of common HVAC systems have cool air blowing through them, and then the plenum is warmer. So the differential between those two temperatures is usually sufficient to generate the thermal differential to, um, to generate energy. You know, I, I guess you brought up a point that is, is a continual argument, uh, at least when, you know, when you talk to designers, you know, they want to go to hands-free faucets. Yeah. Okay, well, what, do you, what are your options? Well, you wire it or you put batteries. Now, right. we, we basically, it's a no-win situation because, you know, wiring it's going to be more expensive. Batteries is going to be more maintenance. And clearly, you know, you have the differential between the hot and the cold or, 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 or whatever. Yeah. So who's taking advantage of it? I mean, is, is there any, any person, you know, any, uh, you know. There's, there's nothing on the market today. Uh, <laughs> But, but it's a clear... I mean, people have actually looked at energy harvesting. There's been some companies that use little water turbines to generate electricity. I saw one that had a uh, valve that was powered by solar. But again, if you're familiar with, you know, a lot of what's going on in, in, in public laboratories is that they turn out the lights when the people aren't in there. So that's not really... Th- those have been more battery enhancers, but not battery replacements. Um, and, and again, one of the other things that we uh, try to do is to uh, design technologies that will last as long as the fundamental, either the, the wired alternative or the fundamental solution, without having to have maintenance. And, and so if you start embedding, for example, turbines and things in water, you, you may have uh, maintenance problems there. Right. And that's what's interesting about this thermal harvesting is that you can actually position um, the thermal harvesting elements between the two water pipes and, uh, and and not have to invade the pipe whatsoever. And so long as there's some water flow and then if you have storage, you can usually store between the times when the, the faucet or, or the device is used. And, and there seems to be sufficient power to do things like soap dispensers, uh, hands-free, the, the passive infrared detection. Um, those things seem well within the reach of the energy budgets of thermal harvesting. Okay. Now, because also I, I, I looked at the thermal har- thermal harvesting, and I'm like, there's got to be a way to, you know, typically, you know, you, uh, so- sometimes in the sequence of operation, you're trying to put a, uh, uh, an aquastat on a pipe to know that, okay, I'm only going to use it when we have hot water available. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And obviously, if, if, you know, in this case, if there's no differential, you're not going to get it to work anyway. Right. So it might be replacing that aquastat in, in, in a kind of a control logic sort of sense. Yeah, I think uh, on, on some of those technologies, um, there is uh, if, if they're not providing energy, it's usually because the system is turned off. The air handling unit or the, or the boiler or water system is turned off. And one of the important things about energy harvesting is to design a, a system that's responsive enough to the environmental uh, sources of energy. And response entails how quickly it wakes up, so to speak. Uh, Also, it addresses um, the issue of you may not always have significant differentials in temperature or significant amounts of light. So you want to respond to low levels of light. You want to turn on very quickly. You want to be able to generate excess energy while the energy source is there so you can bridge till other times. You need to be physically the right size and, and durable enough to withstand uh, the environment. So there's quite a bit of, of uh, tailoring 
of, of the uh, fundamental technology to the application. Um, but you're exactly right. If you had a, a valve system, typically when you design something like that, you would say, well, either I'm, if I'm controlling the valve, I, uh, when I shut down, I shut down into an open mode. So that when the boiler comes back on, it goes in. And we're talking a matter of a few minutes uh, these devices are operational. And so by the time the systems turn on and somebody wants to go around and either calibrate it or uh, commission it or utilize it, um, the system's ready to go. Excellent. So anything, anything else? Any other other new technologies besides you know some of the advances in the uh, you know uh, thermal heat sinks and things like that? Where I mean I guess where where do you see the the biggest use right now? I mean obviously it, it's growing, being implemented. You know retrofit applications. Is there is there uh, you know people that are, are are using it? You know a lot more than others. I mean. Whether it be you know institutional, whether it be healthcare, ed, higher ed, we're um, seeing. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. One one we're seeing you know more adoption when we first came out in North America. Initial adoption was strongest in lighting control, and, and, and there's a significant presence there. But now, as we mentioned before, there's literally 15 companies here at the HR show that are utilizing this technology, and what we're seeing as as more of a developing trend is uh, the merging of these wireless controls with traditional wired controls. And so if you have a commercial building, and it could be an industrial facility, a warehouse, manufacturing, office, um, schools, etc., we're seeing is that many of those will use a commercial building automation such as lawn, lawn works, uh, back net, or some of them use proprietary building automation systems. And what they're doing is they're saying, I can, I can network a lot of my actuators and I can run wires in the ceiling or down corridors, but if all of a sudden I want to start expanding by collecting more zonal information, um, is this classroom occupied? I can turn out the lights or set back the air conditioning. Is this hotel occupied, hotel room occupied, or is this portion of the office? And in order to get that granularity, you need to have easier and more, more uh volume of sensors deployed and the ability to control at a more granular level. And that's where we're seeing this merging of the deployment of cell-powered wireless sensors, switches, things to monitor the environment, tying into the existing building automation system or the upgrading of a building automation system, but eliminating the need to pull the wires to the thousands of sensors that might be needed to feed it. That's one of the more growing trends that we're seeing, particularly in HVAC. All right. Anything, anything else you have to, uh, to add? I think that's it for today. <laughs> All right, Jim, I appreciate you taking your time here. Good. Matt, thank you very much. All right. Appreciate it. All right, then we're back. Thanks again to Jim O'Callaghan uh, for taking the time to talk with us here at the uh, with HVAC 360 from the show. And, uh, you know, I, I guess if you wanted to find out more information, if you like this, uh, there is a kind of a, a complimentary uh, update. I did this one last year uh, for Inotion just because I love the technology so much. But I, I talked with Bob Eckery last year with Inotion. Uh, check it out. That is episode number 40 of HVAC 360. So if you go back in the archives, you will find that there and you can listen to it if you already haven't done so. 
Uh, you know, I again, it kind of in in the uh, the front of the show, I kind of you know talked and ranted and raved a little bit about uh, the slow adoption of some of this technology. Great and retrofit applications, but I, I think I want to challenge each and every one of you. You know, is there something that you're doing, something that you're designing that you could find a better way, a more appropriate way to use this technology and come up with a better product? for the owner of a better solution as far as design goes. So I, I kind of I, I throw that out there. I, I throw that challenge down to you. And, uh, you know, if you do find different ways uh, that you f- have found to adopt this, you know, let me know. You know, we can talk about it a little bit and uh, maybe we can share it and, and talk about it on the show. So I'll, I'll, I'll just throw that out there. Again, thanks for listening. I really appreciate you, each and every one of you. I think you're great. You're fantastic. And you're really on top of things by listening uh, to shows like this and getting additional information. So if you like this show, pass it on. I really appreciate it. That's really the best thing that you can do for me. We can uh, grow the audience and make sure that uh, you know the awareness is out there. Uh, the more traction that I can get, the more uh, attention I can get from some of these uh, different companies. I um, Or if you want to uh, give me a comment on iTunes, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, those are, uh, uh, yeah, again, greatly appreciated. Just go to iTunes, make a comment, leave a review, uh, give me a, a rating, whatever you want to do. Otherwise, uh, if you have any ideas, comments that you'd just like to send to me directly, uh, go ahead and uh, just email them to me, matt at buildingx.co. Or you can uh, follow me on Twitter and direct message me on Twitter at Building X. Or if you just want to uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, I do uh, do plenty of that. That's at uh, Matt Nelson PE. So you can you can find me on LinkedIn there. Otherwise, I think that's pretty much it. I won't belabor this too much longer. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you do, let me know. Uh, but as always, remember, know what you build and share what you know. Hmm.